Welcome to Nodeworthy, the official podcast of Techno.com. I am John Artman, Editor-in-Chief. This week, I'm joined by Nicole Zhao and Masha Borak. So this week, we're talking about recent developments in blockchain in China. Um, and um, of course, you know, Taiwan and the mainland, there is there is a bit of a uh, of a, an awkward relationship there, to to put it lightly. But of course, um, the what happens in the mainland is more is affecting Taiwan more and more and vice versa. Um, and so before we talk um, more about what's happening on the mainland, um, Nicole has actually been writing some really interesting uh, material recently about what's happening uh, in the blockchain space. So I think that I mean, we, we could even go back you know, to, to a couple months ago with your, with your first piece, uh, Nicole, about IOTA um, and about how um, Taiwan, so the, the Taipei government is actually adopting um, more of this technology. So I guess, can you, can you tell us a little bit more about what IOTA is and then what the government is planning on doing with it? Uh, so IOTA is actually based on a, uh, a technology called Tangle. And um, Tangle is recently... Tingle recently uh, gained a lot of attention because it's touted as the uh, the more scalable. Uh, it, it's touted as more scalable and more cost effective than blockchain uh, because it the the technology takes miners out of the equation, so it actually uh, doesn't require uh, any fees for validating the transactions. So um, the Taipei government actually has been experimenting, testing the, uh, the, I, uh, the Tango technology and applying it, um, sorry, um, and applying t- the technology uh, to upgrade its uh, digital identity system. Um, and also they're, they're planning on implementing the technology in other areas such as uh, air pollution monitoring and tracking. Um, mm. So, so it's it's, but it's it's mostly made for um, made for IoT applications. Is that right? It is. It is because um, with I with, with IoT devices, there are a lot of data and resources transmitted uh, between these uh, between the devices. So, um, IOTA is is seen as a solution for that. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's it's it's really interesting. So this um the the concept of identity as well and this is something that that IOTA is doing uh you know applying the concept of identity to um to IoT space, to machines and and to 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 things like that. Uh since you're talking about digital identities, uh I had an interesting talk at the, this year GMIC at Beijing which was on Friday uh, and Thursday. Uh so I heard a uh, <clears throat> sorry. So I heard a panel in which uh, uh Danny Deng, uh the chairman of Thai Cloud was participating and he's also the head of the China blockchain delegation at last year's Davos. Uh, so he was talking about digital identities, and uh, I think, like from his perspectives, like a lot of governments have uh, reason to worry about it. You know, he says that like we will have two kinds of identity, and one is physical, and the other will be digital. 
but this may become a problem for governments because like uh, if you if you look at Estonia for example they are now implementing this uh, digital ID system and they are actually giving a, a digital citizenship for people who are not Estonian as a way to attract talent or or capital or whatever and he thinks in the future that governments are gonna uh, be in competition in this way because we will all be able to choose like our digital uh, identity, our digital nationality, actually. Uh, I heard that mainland China is actually, uh, in terms of relating digital identification, like uh, linking digital identity and non-digital identity, which is physical, the real person, Mm -hmm. uh, mainland Mm -hmm. China is actually uh, a rare exception because of the uh, real name registration laws. Mm-hmm. So, which makes uh, companies easier to to uh, link the real person with with their online identity. Yes, exactly, exactly. And this is, of course, some of the big problems that that foreigners have been facing uh, on the mainland recently um, in terms of um, getting visas, but then also, of course, simple stuff like opening a bank account, getting train tickets, and all all this stuff because. The, the government has implemented certain digital systems um, to prevent fraud um, and in the case of train tickets um, to prevent scalping as well, which is a form of fraud. Um, and and, and on, because all of these things are linked to your ID. Um, and so because of social credit scoring, uh, because of um, other other things, I mean, they, they the, the government knows everything about you and they know that, that this person is tied to this ID. Um, and so when it comes to foreigners, they don't have this information, um, whether or not other governments would, would want to provide that information, I think is a big, big question. Um, but the, the, the great thing for domestic companies in China is that you can, if you have someone's phone number, you know, you know who they are basically. Um, and actually we just reported, so we're recording this on Saturday, um, April 28th. Um, and just yesterday, so on the 27th, uh, LinkedIn began, LinkedIn China began, began asking for phone numbers so that they could actually, uh, link ID with, with, uh, the registered, uh, the registered user. Um, and so, I mean, digital ID, I mean, I think that it's, it, it is, it already is the way, the way of the future. I was just, I think the big question is whether or not that's going to be on, on the blockchain. Uh, yeah. For, well, for Estonia, the, their solution is kind of built on blockchain, but here in China, I don't think the technology is uh, that much advanced. It's just like a big registry. They still have problem connecting different registries, you know, like for basic things, like for social services, let alone like making a proper digital ID. So I think we're going to. So wait for that. Exactly, and, and I think India has been some of the first to to really kind of roll out the di- di- digital ID. Um, but then, of course, you know, China might be the first country to to roll out um, digital uh, digital fiat currency, um, so crypto fiat currency. The PBOC is very interested in that. Um, but I guess Nicole, you know, what, what what how would you characterize the the Taiwan government approach to to blockchain? I mean, like you know, the Taipei the, the city of Taipei seems fairly uh, fairly bullish, but what about the rest of the rest of the island? Um, a lot of people. I, I've been hearing people saying that um, the Taipei government is actually they're they're being kind of uh, flirty about about uh, blockchain because they're um, it's still a nascent industry in in Taiwan, and there's um, there's not really clear regulation uh, on blockchain. And um, this is 
this is good and and it's bad in some way. Um, good because um, other other countries are. Well, if you're not being clear about where you stand on blockchain, uh, on cryptocurrency, uh, a lot of people, um, a, a, a lot of uh, other countries are interested in the opportunities in in in, um, in Taiwan because you're you're not being clear on. Uh, whether you agree with cryptocurrency or not, um, but for domestic companies, um, if you're not being, if if you don't have the um, the regulations, um, you're kind of hindering the growth of the industry um, in Taiwan. If that makes mm. sense. Yeah, yeah, and so it's 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 like um, you know, with with Japan and Korea, they've they've the government has made official statements. That they are pro blockchain, um, and even you know, there's there's cases in South Korea where um, it's becoming much easier to use cryptocurrencies of all sorts. You can even even cryptocurrency ATMs where you can uh, trade for for fiat currency. Um, whereas in China, they've been firmly anti blockchain in in that sense. So 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 I mean, but 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 again, I mean, like the 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 Taipei government being behind IOTA. I mean, that's 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 a pretty um, it's a pretty strong positive signal, right? It is, it is. But still, there um, there needs to be regulations. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess what so so I guess what what kind of regulations do you think? I mean, what 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 are, what are people asking uh, for? A lot of people are talking. I just went to uh, this major blockchain event in Taipei, and a lot of people are kind of calling for um, something called SRO. Uh, it's something that's uh, big, very big in Japan, um, and hmm. uh, the re- the regulators and people in the industry are kind of. Um, calling for the government to, to follow what Japan has been doing with uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain. Okay, so basically just creating a, um, a more a, a clear regulatory framework about what is acceptable and in and, and what is not acceptable. Um, but then also, I mean, again, I mean, like, it does seem that that um, that Taiwan is kind of leading leading the way in a certain sense. Um, you know, PTT, one of their largest um, social networks, it just 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 began to adopt blockchain. Isn't that right? Yeah. Um, so I wrote an article um, about a project that is recently launched in um, launched by a Taipei-based AI research organization called uh, Taiwan AI Labs, um, which aims to bring about uh, data openness and transparency in um, to social media platform. And um, for those who don't know PTT, it is an online forum. Um, that's founded 23 years ago. Uh, the closest thing to it, it's probably Reddit. Um, it's one of the mm. oldest and largest social media platform in Taiwan. And so um, they're experimenting um, Tangle, which is the, the distributed technology to transform this platform to, into a decentralized social media platform. But what's what's the incentive for them? I mean, you know, like like for example, um, Kick is probably the best example of um, 
a company who has been around for a long time may or may not be doing well um, and and sees sees blockchain sees cryptocurrency as a way to um, to monetize their network in, in a way that they would not be able to otherwise you know uh, they probably can't they may not be able to get um, VC funding and so they, they're looking at cryptocurrency instead I mean is it is it a similar situation with um, with PTT uh, no I, I don't think so because PTT has always been uh, popular um, but I think the motivation behind it, it's or the intention is um, this. I didn't know before. Taiwan has uh, is actually one of the the most data open government in the world. So uh, it's it's cultivated this open data, open source culture, and um, the internet community has long been campaigning for uh, data openness and transparency well before um, all this Facebook data privacy scandal. So um, hmm. yeah, I think. And PTT, it's um, it, it is not pro- not for profit, and and um, they have preserved they have tried to pr- preserve the spirit of you know user autonomy, um, democracy, and freedom of of speech. So um, you know it's kind of doing what uh, it, it's doing the opposite of what a lot of mainstream platforms out there are doing, um, where uh, most platforms are operating on a business model. Um, where an, a big chunk of their revenue comes from ad, ad, advertising, but PTT is, mm. is has always been not uh, a nonprofit organization. Interesting. Yeah, and it's funny because I was looking at um, some of the some of the pictures of, of PTT, and it looks like it's it's fairly low tech. I mean, it's, like, it has the, a retro kind of design. It hasn't changed for twenty years. <laughs> yeah. I, I know a lot of people who use it every single day for the past decade. Because um, I know that, I mean, like Hacker News, for example, is is uh, one of one of my main information sources. And I would say that their their interface is very simple. I mean, they're not trying to make a social network out of it. Um, but there is some really interesting tech kind of going on behind it. Um, whereas with PTT, it looks like, I mean, it looks, I mean, so I was never really involved in, in like BBS uh, when I when I first got on the internet. But what I was, but I did do was play these, um, these text-based adventure games and that's exactly what this looks like so like like a terminal interface basically um and everything is text there's there's no pictures and you have to type in type in commands you can't really click on anything it's interesting because it's a important source of information for uh taiwanese um it's like when you when you watch the news um, they they usually quote like what uh, what a PTT user was saying. The discussion on on PTT is actually is usually quoted on on news platforms. And, yeah. Interesting. So yeah, so it's pretty it's pretty influential. Um. So so but but so for them, like you're saying, it's it's nonprofit. And so basically, like their motivation is just data ownership. They just yeah. want to say, hey, you know what? We just want to make sure that 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 our users own the yeah. data. Yeah. So that's 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 really cool. I mean, like you don't you don't you don't have any. I mean, I, yeah. There's no. I mean, so so. There are some new uh, blockchain-based um, companies that are trying to do there that, are, right? There, there are there... In, in Taiwan too. I think um, there are a lot in China, and um, I've been seeing a lot in Taiwan as well. Um, a lot of companies 
Uh, they're rolling out um, utility tokens, which claims to give data ownership back to users. Um, there are a lot of this kind of um, company surfacing recently. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny because I mean, I was at the uh, I was at GMIC as well, and and maybe Masha, you can you can add some detail here, but um, I was I, so I was hosting a a panel at the um, at the blockchain um, blockchain stage, and beforehand there was a super interesting um, presentation from um, Dawn Song, uh, a woman who works who's a researcher at um, University of California at Berkeley, and I think that, that that for me, you know, this this idea of of how people are going to interact with the blockchain was um, was always a bit fuzzy. I mean, I think I have a general grasp about kind of what's possible, um, but she laid it out super super simple and basically, you know, saying that instead of instead of us um, directly giving um, directly giving data to service providers to Facebook or Google or Weibo or WeChat or whatever, instead there's there's this AI blockchain agent. Um, that that we interact with the agent and then the agent interacts with these platforms and so the platforms instead of saying hey Nicole we want this data we want this data from you and you know you give us by by agreeing to use this service you agree to give up a certain portion of your data as well um, rather than that it's actually interacting with the agent saying and, and going to the agent and saying hey we want this data is that okay um, and and of course as as we move forward also being able to to get compensation for allowing that data and so like allowing the the data to be given to a service provider. Um, I know I was talking with, and I think that maybe maybe you met him as well. The uh, the CEO and founder of. Um of um, what's it called? Of 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 Bitmark, and and so one of the things that they're working on is um, uh, is medical research, and so you know these um, these medical research institutions they need data uh, from a wide section of people, uh, but getting the data and also getting the consent is actually getting is quite difficult. Um, it's a lot of legwork and it takes a lot of time, and so that means that the, the subject pool is necessarily uh, relatively small. Uh, but with with the internet, with blockchain. Um, it's very possible for uh, for people to give up or to um, donate some of their data to the to this medical research uh, via the uh, via the blockchain agent saying, hey, this is, you know, all of my medical data is on the blockchain, but my but I only I only authorize certain people with uh, to to actually be able to see certain parts of it. And so instead of instead of giving access to everything, I can actually be very granular and, and choose what uh, what who is able to see what. Uh, yeah, I mean, but the thing is we, we already had that before you could uh, anonymize data for example if you need to use it as a data set for you know whatever machine learning or making applications but uh, the thing is I guess uh, uh, the, not, not a lot of uh, companies were doing it so of course people have a problem with trust and and that's going to take a long time to fix in my opinion mm. what especially you, since the Facebook uh, incident right yeah well, I mean, it's it, the the Facebook incident. I mean, it's coming at the perfect time. I would say. Um, I mean, it's almost too perfect, perhaps. I mean, I don't want to. I mean, because you know, as blockchain, as all of these issues about data are um, are becoming more more public, um, it's it's blockchain is in the exact right position, and and it's in in my sense is that it's very much um, the the right place at the right time, where people are are slowly beginning to realize how much data they're actually giving up, um, how much money these 
companies are making from the data, how insecure their data actually is, um, and the, and also the fact that they're not they're not getting compensated for it. I mean, so so basically, when you use Google, Facebook, whatever, um, you're you're basically you you, you, might, you might not be paying the the service itself, but you are paying in the term in terms of the the data that they are collecting about you and your and your and your behavior. Um, and I think that this is this is fundamentally this is antithetical to a lot of the values that that a lot of people have about who they are and 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 what they think people should know about them or what they think companies should know about them. Um, and also just not having any um, any control really. I mean, it's 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 complete it's it's completely ungranular. It's really kind of funny because you know Mark Zuckerberg was uh, in front of in front of the uh, in front of Congress, and every single time, every single time that they asked him directly about the data that Facebook collects, his answer was. Oh, we give our users granular control over what they share. The thing is, that's not the question. The question is not what types of privacy settings do people have. The question is what data is Facebook collecting, and they're collecting Facebook all across the all. all they're collecting data from all across the board. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're logged into Facebook, if you have a cookie on your browser, and you go to visit another website with with a Facebook script in it, it will it, they they will be able to to track you um, across across the the internet. Um, which is a fascinating technology, and it's really kind of cool. And you know, certainly for for us, you know, we're a data driven media company, and so we're always looking at um, who's reading us, how long they're reading us, where they're coming from, and things like that. And so for us, it's super valuable, um, and we're able to do that because of Google's data collecting technology. Um, so it's it's on the one hand, it's really great, but on the other hand, you know, people aren't giving permission for for the the breadth of of use. Yeah, I think it's kind of scary when you really think about it. Uh, I read that. Uh, sites and services that are operated by, um, I think, Facebook and Google combined, uh, which includes like WhatsApp, YouTube. Um, anyway, th those um, the services that owned by by Facebook and Google uh, account for over seventy percent of internet traffic, which is I think it's pretty scary if you think about it. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, again, I mean, like they're not they're not monopolies in the sense that they that they, um, you know, are able to exploit users, exploit customers by by uh, controlling the price and gouging them in that sense. But they certainly are monopolies in terms of market yeah, position. Yeah. Um, and it's in the same and the same is true for for Chinese companies as well. I mean, you know, Tencent has a complete monopoly on on social networks. I mean, of course, there's there's still Weibo, but they're 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 a very far second. Um, and of course, there are social. There are there are you know um, short video apps which have social components and things. But um, but I mean, Tencent is obviously way ahead of the pack. Um, Alibaba in other areas is way ahead of the pack. I mean, so it's they're virtual monopolies in the sense that they just control so much of the market. And also um, in mobile payment, Alipay and WeChat Pay, they account for like ninety percent. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. And, and imagine all the all the transaction data that they're, that, that they're collecting right exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. No, I know. I know some people who um, who refuse to use WeChat. They refuse to use WeChat Pay. Uh, they refuse to use um, AliPay, um, which of course, of course is kind of interesting because that means that you can't really, you know, um, you can't really participate in the digital economy. But um, but I think that if you're if you're of a certain mindset, then that's not such a big deal. Um, I mean, it's always funny whenever I travel outside of China. I was in Russia a couple of weeks ago, and whenever I travel outside of China, I mean, just to just to be back into like a cash based consumption uh, environment is always very 
interesting. Um, and they, they're, Apple Pay was becoming a bit more ubiquitous, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you, you have to use credit card or, or cash everywhere you go. Um, and, and really just kind of how, how low tech these, some of these other countries are. And then, of course, how high tech China is and how, um, you know, the, 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 the line between on, online and offline is, is almost non existent at, at this point. Um, but before we keep going down, but, you know, I want to stop kind of going down that, that huge rabbit hole um, and, t- and bring it back to, to blockchain specifically. Um, so, so, you know, talking about Taiwan and the, the Taiwanese government, what's really interesting is some of the recent um, uh, events in, 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 Chinese, in the Chinese mainland, specifically the, um, the Chinese government. So local governments are now beginning to show support for, for blockchain. And I think that this is what's kind of super interesting is that, you know, the, the initial impression perhaps was that China would never really have a blockchain, but it's very clear that what they were against is uh, cryptocurrency and, and what they are for is the, the underlying technology itself. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you said before that China was not for blockchain, but the opposite is true. Actually, they're very much into blockchain. They, they even have it in their 13, uh, 13 five-year plan. Uh, and uh, it's kind of expected that the provincial governments are going to try to include this technology because, uh, well, on, on one hand, uh, it is supposed to stimulate local companies to actually upgrade their technology. But on the other hand, it, it kind of makes the provincial government look good. And, you know, it, it's also kind of a little bit of marketing for them. So we had um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the uh, Hangzhou uh, launching uh, a big uh, blockchain chain uh, fund. And then uh, this week we saw Shenzhen uh, uh, launching a fund for them. So uh, some commentators have said that like, you know, uh, blockchain in China is uh, going into kind of a government-led mode. But this was actually going on for a while now. Shenzhen has been uh, proposing some initiatives to help uh, companies that are combining uh, fintech and uh, and uh, blockchain. And also, uh, what I didn't know earlier is that China already has its uh, regulatory uh, sorry China already has a regulatory sandbox for companies that want to uh, uh, you know see how blockchain can be applied in uh, real life. And I mean. Uh, in combination with the financial services or other areas. And basically this uh, sandbox is meant to um, uh, kind of, sorry, the sandbox is kind of meant to uh, uh, provide an area where they can see what kind of regulations they need and uh, what uh, what will be the consequences if they, uh, they, they apply this technology. So they're really taking a slow step-by-step uh, uh, approach but which is uh, very good for formulating regulations and uh, and building kind of a strategy. Yeah, and it just goes to show just how, how serious um, China is. I mean, as you mentioned, the 13th um, five-year plan was actually a couple of years ago. Um, so that means that that blockchain has been on, on their radar for, for some time. It's just that the the, the crackdown um, of late last year had a bit of a chilling effect, especially when it comes to um, tokens, um, and that was was super interesting as well. Is that for the for the panel that I was hosting, they were the organizers were very clear, no mention of ICOs at all. Um, on the actual panel, um, and so what's interesting is that there's this been this trend outside of China 
of um, of older companies, more established companies, um, doing what's being called a reverse ICO, um, or but it's basically tokenization. Um, so take so similar to what Kick did, basically, um, and and so we couldn't even mention reverse ICO. We had to make sure that we were calling it tokenization in, in, instead of reverse ICO. Um, but I think that you know, Masha, you said that the government, you know, it's they've they've always been it's always been kind of government led, and I think that's true. But you know, it's it's this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, where um, they're actually providing real funding for for companies to start actually making products. Um, and so you can talk about how much you support it, but until you actually begin to um, provide funding or at least subsidies for companies in this area, then there's not going to be much um, development. Um, but I think you know these funds, coupled with the overall push toward for innovation and startups, uh, it's a really good sign that China um, takes new the, this new technology very seriously, um, and they want to make sure to 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 be out in front of it. Whereas I think you know um, countries in the West, um, they're they, they're very slow if. If, if they're looking at this at, at this new technology at all. Yes, I mean China is in some areas way ahead of us. Uh, but you know there there are other positive examples like you know Estonia, Malta. They're all like looking into it. So China is not the only. Right, right. Yeah, and Estonia is always Estonia is a really interesting example because they they've been um, very progressive with their with their technology um, adoption, um, and I think that you know with these smaller countries, I mean, there's there's a competitive advantage in 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 making sure that they're um, they may not be the biggest country, they may not be the most powerful, but at least they can be um, the most innovative um, and and attract investment and businesses that way. Um, whereas in China, I think it's definitely strategic. I mean, you look at some of the uh, the recent moves against Chinese companies, of course, in particular. ZTE and, and Huawei, um, and indigenous innovation, as they like to call it, is um, is becoming more and more of a priority. Yeah, absolutely. There's a big push to uh, kind of uh, offset the negative influence uh, of these tensions, uh, trade tensions, and uh, we we saw during the past week or two, uh, comp- companies that have been announcing going into chip making, companies like Alibaba and uh, I don't know uh, ByteDance that operate General Total. So yeah, we're going to see a lot more activity in this area. Definitely. Definitely. Well, okay. I think that's about all the time that we have for this episode of Node Worthy. Um, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes. Uh, if you're on Overcast or Pocketcast, you can uh, tap on that star button and it will uh, recommend this episode to your network. If you want to get in touch with um, any of us, you can always go to our website and find our contact information there. 